The Good Shepherd, part two. So we started this series last week. The idea is basically this, that the most important thing or maybe one of the top, top, top things that you need to get right in your life is who you trust. If we trust the right sources, things are going to go well. If we trust the wrong sources, we'll be betrayed, we'll be deceived, bad things are going to happen. And so I want to make sure that we're trusting in and following Jesus. All right, not Good Hope Church, not Pastor Mike, not this, that, or the other thing, but we need to follow Jesus. It's so important. Christian culture is not what we're after. Celebrity pastors, churches, political leaders, internet, media, misinformation. We don't want to be led by any of that stuff. We don't want to follow any of that. We want to follow Jesus. And if there are people that can help us with that, hallelujah. But I want you following me. I want you following Jesus. If I can help you follow Jesus, then I'm helping you. If I'm not helping you follow Jesus, then I'm not helping you. So we need to follow Jesus. Now, Jesus was dealing with a whole bunch of religious dysfunction in uh, New Testament times. And of course, we have uh, religious dysfunction today as well. And when he was dealing with that, he began to speak to the Pharisees about that by telling a story, a parable about the good shepherd. So we read John 10, 1 through 6 last time. Let me recap that. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. So Jesus says more about that here in chapter 10, but today we're going to look back at chapter 9. What was the situation that was going on that was happening that made Jesus talk about the good shepherd, the thieves and robbers, the sheep won't listen to the stranger's voice? What was he getting at? What was he referring to? We're going to go to John chapter 9 and talk about that. So again, Jesus was dealing with some weird religious dysfunction in his day. My notes say... I'm glad that doesn't happen anymore, dot, dot, dot. If we could be done with weird religious dysfunction, that'd be fantastic. But here we go. Today, four different types of ways religion can miss it. So John chapter 9 is a particular case that really demonstrates a whole bunch of different ways that there can be religious dysfunction. So I'm going to read this chunk of scripture and try to explain what's going on, and then we'll talk about these four different ways from this story. But this is just an amazing thing. So here we go, John chapter 9. So starting in verse 1. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
After saying this, he, Jesus, spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So this is an amazing process for healing. I mean, we don't have that. We have like prayer teams in our live services. People come up for prayer. We don't rub mud on anybody's eyes. We don't do stuff like that. But Jesus here spits on the ground, makes the mud, rubs mud on the guy's eyes, tells him to go wash his eyes out. He washes them out, and now he can see. It's an incredible, incredible miracle. Verse 8, his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was he. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son? They asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he now can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered. And we know he was born blind, but how he can now see or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said he is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Hallelujah. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I've told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, you are steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. (laughs) Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. 
Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. And then straight into verse 1 of chapter 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate is a thief and a robber. That's the transition into chapter 10 where Jesus is talking about the, uh, the good shepherd and his sheep. So that's quite the story. There's a man that's born blind. Jesus is asked by his disciples who sinned. This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus is like, yeah, that's not it. This is for the glory of God. So he uh, spits, makes mud, puts it on the guy's eyes. He goes and washes as Jesus directs him. And then all of a sudden he can see. And then the Pharisees find out about it and they're having to investigate because this happened to be a Saturday. It was a Sabbath day. I don't think it was a special Sabbath. I'm guessing it was just a regular Saturday Sabbath. And uh, he's... Uh, like, this is bad. You know, he spit on the ground, made mud, put it on his eyes. He's broken the Sabbath. It's this huge investigation. They pull in his parents. They pull the guy in for questioning a second time. They get super mad at him because he's like, look, I can see. I mean, when you're blind, when you've seen an incredible miracle, like being born blind and now you can see, all of a sudden you don't worry so much about what everybody else has to say. You know, I have people who uh, don't trust my experiences with God and it's like, well, I was there. You know, <laughs> you can't talk me out of what I've already experienced with God. Uh, I heard a preacher one time say, you know, if you want to tell me that God doesn't heal anymore, you got to me too late because I've seen the healing power of God. And that's what this guy is. He's like, look, you know, like, what are you going to do? I just had, had an incredible miracle happen, but they don't like him. So they throw him out. And then Jesus reconnects with them and he worships Jesus. And then they finally, the, the Pharisees are like, what are we blind to? And that last verse, if, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Fantastic story. Let's look at four types of bad religion Religious dysfunction from John chapter 9. Number one actually comes from the disciples, not from the Pharisees. Number one type of bad religion from John chapter 9 is inappropriate blame. Blaming somebody inappropriately. So the gospel of John chapter 9 verse 2, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Who are we going to blame? The parents or the person born blind, how do you sin before you're even born? I don't exactly understand what even they were getting at. But the reality is, is that neither one of them were to blame. And so Jesus was like, neither one. It wasn't the parents. It wasn't him. God has a special plan here. It wasn't the sin of the person or their parents. Let me tell you, one of the greatest mistakes we can make in life is to blame or shame or condemn people wrongly. That is very bad. You want to be very careful because it's a powerful injustice and even a more powerful misrepresentation of God when God's people blame wrong. They shame wrong. They 
condemn wrongly. This, it's, it's a yucky thing. But this idea that if something bad happened, somebody had to have sinned, you know, so let's figure out who sinned, was a common idea back in Jesus' day. And it's something he's trying to straighten out. But how terrible is it to be born blind and to have people think, you know, you must have sinned before you were born, you rotten piece of garbage. You're getting what you deserve. How terrible is that? Like you've got the issue, you got the problem that you have to overcome anyway, you know, and now you're having people blame you for it. It's just yucky. So Jesus straightens it out. Verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. So why did this happen? It was not the result of sin. It was to show the power and the glory of God. So let me ask you this question. How should you interpret your disadvantages? Sometimes they're a result of sin, sure. You've been horribly abused as a child. Well, that's the result of somebody's sin. That was the abuser's sin that caused that damage to you. But a lot of times the things that we have, it's not anybody's fault, but it's an opportunity for God to show his power to overcome. So when we are disadvantaged, like I, you know, diagnosed as a dyslexic in elementary school, auditory dyslexic. I don't think that terminology works anymore, but you know, I had various problems learning how to read, various things like that going on. When you see somebody with an issue or you've got an issue yourself, how should you interpret that? Not with blame, not with, oh, it must have been the failure of the parents. Oh, it must have been that stupid kid needs to try to try harder, you know, and apply himself like... Let's not do any blaming, all right? Let's grab hold of the opportunity for God to bring something new, something powerful in that situation. So dysfunction number one is inappropriate blame. When religion goes bad, people can be blamed who shouldn't be blamed. Dysfunction number two, John chapter nine, verse 16 says this, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Okay, so they're fighting with each other because they're arguing over the Sabbath rules and they are completely missing the point. <laughs> you know, bad religion misses the point. Is this about nitpicky Sabbath rules? Is that what this is about? Well, certainly Jesus was, you know, killing two birds with one stone here. He's straightening out the who sinned problem. And then he's also straightening out the, well, it doesn't quite straighten it out, but he is addressing the issue of the hyper focus on nitpicky Sabbath rules that aren't the heart of God. The Sabbath had been distorted into something that was a religious hassle instead of a time of rest and connection with God. So they had messed the Sabbath up with their legalism. It's amazing to me that a man born blind can be healed and now they're arguing about Sabbath rules and there's division in the group. You know, I mean, really? They're missing the miracle. God just did something incredible. How is it that they're having a fight now and there's division now and they're arguing over different things? When tradition and human rules push out or override the power and goodness of God, and we miss the point, we got bad religion. Tradition and human rules pushing out the good things of God is no good. They're missing the point. How is it? 
I just don't understand how it's possible that this man being healed didn't result in an incredible celebration. Shouldn't we all just be jumping up and down like, hey, what? You used to beg. You know, I got a job opening. You should come learn my business. You know, you can help me out. Uh, Like there should be incredible celebration. The family should be celebrating. The church should be celebrating. Everybody should be celebrating. But instead we've got this yucky religious dysfunction that's throwing everything off. This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew chapter 23, verse 24. One of my very, very favorite verses in the Bible. This is in the great woe chapter. Jesus says, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. That's such a beautiful picture. Straining out the gnat from what they're drinking because, you know, like, well, you know, he did spit on the ground and make some mud. You know, like, how much mud can you make spitting on the ground? I mean, this is not much. You know, I'm sure it's just barely enough to make his eyes a little bit dirty with the mud. And they're like, oh, he worked on the Sabbath. A sinner. He's terrible. Like, ah. Oh. And then you swallow a camel which is you can't celebrate the mercy and glory and power of God and recognize that this is a beautiful God moment. Missing a man born blind being healed and thinking it's some kind of a problem is swallowing a camel while they're straining out a gnat. We need to be careful not to trump God's plan with our institutional rules, the ways we like to do things. Instead, we need to be willing to adapt when God shows up. Amen? One of the most amazing examples of this is in Acts chapter 11. You might think of the early believers in the early church as being perfect. Well, let me tell you, there was profound racism in the early church because the culture was a profoundly racist culture. You know, the Jewish people were the chosen people and everybody else, the Gentiles, they were all like unclean. You know, they they just, they couldn't come into certain parts of the temple. And there was just like, there was a definite hierarchy among humanity in their mindset. And it was a powerful, powerful force within them. Once you have ingrained in you, I am part of a group that's better than this group. We are the true followers. We are the right ones. We are the ones God loves and not them. Once you get that ingrained within you, it can be difficult to override, to learn a different way. But in Acts chapter 11, Peter is talking about sharing the faith with Gentiles and how they responded and how the Holy Spirit fell on them. And he's, he's actually called to account. What are you doing talking to the Gentiles, telling them all this stuff? And, and he's got to give an account of himself. And this is a piece of it. Acts eleven fifteen through 18. Peter is speaking. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift, he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then even the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. They're like, huh, we thought we were the chosen people and they didn't really count. Guess not. That's amazing. They did not let their ingrained prejudices, their religious rules, trump an incredible, amazing miracle from God and revelation from God. So that's where we want to be. 
It was so countercultural. Let's let God do his thing and not let our religion, our rules, our ways of doing things get in the way. All right? Religion gone bad can miss the point. Oh, here's another one. Point number three. The third type of bad religion from John chapter 9 is threats and power plays to keep control. So when you see somebody in bad religion realizing that they're starting to lose control, they can react very harshly and go to threats and power plays. We see this in John chapter 9, verse 22, and also in verse 34. So in verse 22, they're questioning this man who's born blind. They're questioning his parents. And they're like, hey, what's the deal with him? And they're just like, ah, oh, you know, like, um, he's of age. Why don't you ask him? You know, like, ah, we know he was born blind. We don't know anything else. Because why? Verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So they didn't want to be thrown out of the synagogue. They didn't want to be thrown out of the church by saying, yeah, Jesus did that to our son. Isn't it wonderful? They couldn't say that because of the threats and the power plays that were going on by the religious leaders. And so they were in fear about being thrown out of the synagogue. They couldn't tell the truth. Uh, they felt like they couldn't tell the truth. They probably would have been thrown out. They threw out the guy that was born blind, which is in verse 34, my other reference. To this, when he's saying, look, you know, come on, man. I was blind. Now I can see. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do this. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. They just couldn't handle the fact that this guy was standing up to him. So they insult him and throw him out. Once the Pharisees, religious traditions, and personal power were threatened by God's plan, they just threatened back. Because, you know, this man wasn't healed by the Pharisees. He wasn't healed by the priests. It wasn't some proper way. It was just Jesus putting mud on his eyes on the Sabbath. Something outside of the Pharisees' control had done this, and they didn't like that. They didn't like being on the outside looking in, trying to figure out what was happening. They wanted to be in control. They were used to being in control. And so they turned to threats and power plays. They couldn't deal with this honestly, so they resorted to threats and intimidation. Verse 34 that we just read, you're steeped in sin at birth, how dare you lecture us? And they throw him out, is remarkable in its response to verse 30. So verse 30 demands a response. Verse 30, the man answered after the Pharisees had said, you know, we don't even know where this guy has come from, this Jesus you're talking about. We don't even know where he's from. This is a response from the man born blind. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. Why, why is that remarkable? It's remarkable because that is one of the prophecies about the coming Messiah is that they wouldn't know where he would come from. And he's like, really? You don't know where he came from? And he opened my eyes. And it's like, ding, 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 ding. And his head, he's like, this is the Messiah, you know? Like, wow. It's also another interesting point as far as prophecy, because do we know where he came from? Well, Jesus of Nazareth, called out of Egypt, born in Bethlehem. All, we know these things, but not everybody knew. And there were times when it was brought out that they didn't know where he was from. So the Pharisees could not acknowledge that there was a prophecy being fulfilled about Jesus. So they just got mad and threw him out. So they resorted to power plays, threats, and intimidation when they should have released 
to God what was God's. We've got to serve God with an open hand. You know, Good Hope Church is not about Good Hope Church. I'm not about me. It's about the kingdom of God. It's about people finding Jesus. You don't need to come to church here to find Jesus and follow Jesus. You don't need to listen to what I say. So go follow Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I hope you connect with the church. That's a happy thing for me. But we have to serve God with an open hand. And John the Baptist did this in a very powerful way. I'm going to go back to John chapter 3 and just read this short section real quick. You know, there were a whole bunch of people following John the Baptist, like lots and lots and lots. And then they started following Jesus. And the disciples of John got a little worried about it. And so that's where we pick it up. Verse 26, they came to John and said to him, this is John the Baptist, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he's baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but I'm sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The opposite of the clinging to power, the threats that the Pharisees were being part of. So threats and power plays to keep control is another part of bad religion. And then number four, last one on our list is boldness as a cover-up for ignorance. Verse 41, the Pharisees that were hearing Jesus talking about how that he's came to judge and that the blind will see and those who will see will become blind. The Pharisees are like, what are we blind too? And Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You claim you can see. See, they're posturing all tough like they know what's going on and they don't know what's going on. That is a clear sign of bad religion when people are like, yep, this is it. And they're just 100% confident and they just don't know what they're talking about. So it's a very dangerous thing. Now it's fine not to know something. Hallelujah. This set me free, you know, because I thought, well, I have to have an answer for any, you know, like, oh, uh, ready in season and out of season and all that. And, and I was nervous about what if somebody asked me a question I don't know the answer for? Well, it's pretty easy to say, you know, <laughs> I don't know. That's a great question. What do you think? And just try to find an answer to it. Like, that's okay. It's fine not to know something. In fact, it's usually refreshing when someone admits that they don't know something. I've had people laugh out loud in ministry circles where I'm talking to other pastors or missionaries or something. And I said, yeah, I made a huge mistake when I did this. And they'll laugh out loud. Like, you're admitting that you made a mistake? Like, well, of course, it was a big mistake. <laughs> I did that wrong. But you just don't hear that so often. Instead, there's boldness as a cover-up for ignorance, boldness as a cover-up for making a mistake. And that's not where we want to be. Social proof is not the same as biblical truth. What that means is if everybody agrees, that doesn't mean it's biblically true. Social proof is like, if everybody's doing it, you do it too. If everybody thinks it, you think it too. It is not the same as biblical truth. Just because everyone around you is saying the same thing doesn't make it true. Some people act all confident, but they're still clueless. Don't let them take you in. A couple more points on this one. Boldness is a cover-up for ignorance. Judging others, judging the church, judging pastors, judging ministries is claiming that you know, that you know better. They should be doing this. 
Anytime you say they should, you need to watch out and make sure that now that you claim you can see your guilt remains doesn't apply to you. If you're not going to step up and do something about it and you're all full of they shoulds and you don't really know what's going on, then that verse applies to you as well. If you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. It's one of the most dangerous parts of judging others is claiming you can see. Instead, just be honest. We don't know everything. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Paul says, you know, we know in part. We see dimly as in a mirror. We don't know everything. That's okay. You don't have to posture all bold like you know everything in order to be doing a good job. We just don't know it all. So let me give you a quick recap of four types of bad religion from John chapter 9. There's inappropriate blame, blaming people you shouldn't blame. It's missing the point. <laughs> That's no good. There's threats and power plays to keep control. And there's boldness as a cover-up for ignorance. Now, as I was looking through this, I thought, well, this is kind of interesting because these are just examples of everyday dysfunction. I mean, you don't have to be in church for people to inappropriately blame others. You don't have to be in the Christian world to miss the point. You don't have to be part of a Christian organization to have threats and power plays uh, come up for people to try to keep control. And you certainly don't need to be in the Christian world for boldness to come up as a cover-up for ignorance or mistakes or not knowing what's going on. Like, this is just the world in the church, you know? And there's a word for a Christian who acts like the world, who acts like everybody else. There's a word for a Christian who acts like everybody else, and that word is hypocrite. Jesus calls us out to be different. We are to hear our shepherd's voice and follow him. And so when we don't, when instead we do the normal worldly tactics of inappropriately blaming, threatening and doing power plays, you know, boldness is a cover up for ignorance, you know, missing the point too. Uh, that one's a little less nefarious, but it's just the world in the church. It's just the people of God not acting like the people of God. So instead, let's act like the people of God. Let's actually listen for and follow the good shepherd's voice. We'll talk more about how to do that next week as we continue in John chapter 10. I want to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Because let me tell you, when you are a follower of God, you are called out to be different. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? So here's the question. If you believe in Jesus, aren't you a mere human being? I mean, like, the answer is no. You're not a mere human being. You're a child of God. You're more than a conqueror. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. You are an ambassador for Christ in this world. You are empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. You are able to overcome. Like you are not just a regular person walking around. So I need you to believe that. Because when the follower of Christ just does the same things, you know, is the same crass, angry, bitter, 
power playing, you know, pretending you know what you don't know, blaming people who shouldn't get When you act like that, most of the time you're acting worse than people who don't believe. And it's a disaster. It's a hypocrisy. So let's be children of God. You are not disqualified from being a child of God. Jesus qualified you even when you didn't deserve it because none of us deserve it. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you want to start a relationship with Jesus, let me tell you, the qualifications for wanting to start a relationship with Jesus are Jesus having had died for you on the cross. Guess what? He did, so you're qualified. So come on in. All you got to do is believe, ask for forgiveness of sins and pledge your life to learn the ways of God and live it out and you're in, man. Male, female, old, young, doesn't matter. Somebody who's never been to church in your life, you're 80 years old, you've been walking away from God your whole life, somebody who was in church but who's been resisting God your whole life, now is the time to receive forgiveness, newness of life in Christ, to pledge your life to serve God and to be who you were created to be, a child of God, more than a conqueror, an ambassador for Christ, a temple of the Holy Spirit, a light bringing the goodness of God to this world. That's who you're supposed to be. Not a hypocrite, not a fool, not someone engaging in religious dysfunction, but someone who's honest about their faults and their ignorance and who is endeavoring to know and walk with God. So let's pray. If you're a believer, grab hold of your identity in Christ. If you're ready to be a believer, let's go get it. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you that you reject no one but your offer is there for anyone. Anyone who believes that you are there is someone who can receive that forgiveness. So Lord, I speak to the one who is afraid of you and thinks they've failed too greatly and can't be forgiven. I come against that lie and I say, be gone in Jesus' name. Let them know that the blood of Christ is enough to cover their sin, to wash them clean. Let them believe that and receive of your mercy and grace. Lord, for all of us, thank you for forgiving our sins so that we can be qualified because we don't qualify ourselves, but you do. You bring us in. You make us children of God. You make us more than conquerors. We are not victims, but we are able to overcome evil with good. Thank you for making us ambassadors for you in this world. Lord, we just give you praise and we honor you. Help us to grab hold of the fullness of the plan you have for us. Help us to be temples of your spirit, carrying your goodness and your love into this world. Encourage us, Lord, with this. Let us not be part of bad religion, but let us grab hold of your truth and all of its beauty. In Jesus' name, amen.